going to be in Romans this afternoon. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Uh, and we're going to dig in this afternoon. Um, and I just want to go ahead and forewarn you, we're not going to get out of verse 16 uh, tonight. Um, we're likely not going to get out of verse 16 for a couple of nights. Um, what we're going to find is there is so much jammed into these two passages of text that it is going to take Paul an entire book to cover and unpack this. So um, I want us to just kind of spend some time thinking about what he's saying uh, tonight and praying that God's Holy Spirit would move in our hearts uh, and in our lives in such a way as to give us a greater appreciation for the gospel, uh, for the work that Christ has done, so that uh, we can be made useful and pushed forward in this process of salvation that is taking place in each and every one of us who place our faith in Christ. Uh, I want us to open up in prayer before we do this. Um, I would ask that y'all would pray for me um, as I preach tonight. Um, it's been a, a long week, um, been kind of pressed out of my comfort zone a little bit, and hanging out with Dad, sleeping in the same room with him. He snores terribly. Is he in here? Good. The man snores like a chainsaw. Mother, I'm... Pray for my mother. Because <laughs> she never gets rest from that. So working long days and not being able to sleep because there's like a, a, a camel or a hippopotamus or something sleeping in the same room. Um, man, I'm exhausted. And I know many of you are exhausted. I know I'm not the only one that has had long weeks, uh, a long week this week. And I know that many of you have had longer weeks than me. Um, I want us to open up uh, also remembering Donna in our prayers um, Kip and, and Kip as well. I know y'all are on a man. Y'all are on a long and rough road, um, and I want to. I want us as a church just to rally around them in prayer like never before. Uh, that God would just take hold of both of them. I know that God will gain glory from both of their lives. The testimony that you two will have, and the glory that God is getting from the lives that you are living. Thank you for suffering well. And tell Donna that I said to her, thank you for suffering well. Because Christ's name is glorified. And hope, hope is found in Christ alone. And y'all know that. And that's such a, that's such a blessing and, a, and an amazing thing to have. Um, we are blessed to have you and Donna as the leaders of this flock um, of believers, and I want to just us to open up in prayer uh, tonight, especially, and continue throughout this week uh, that that they would be continually on our hearts in prayer as they uh, go through this difficult season in life. That God would just uh, that God would just strengthen them and encourage them, and that He would glorify Himself and show us that He would show Himself to us how He in fact makes true Romans eight twenty eight how He, in fact, is so much greater than all the things that we struggle with and go through, that He can make those things work out for our ultimate good. Uh, so let's open, let's open in prayer tonight. Lord, 
I thank you for this day. Lord, let us never take for granted the day that you've given us. Lord, let us, let us not, because of our weariness and because of the bodies that are so broken because of sin, that grow so tired because of the work that, that we do and the lives and the pressures of this world as they press in on us, let us never lose sight of the fact that today is a day that you have given us and that in these days and in these trials and in these lives that we live, that we would live each and every day, one, thanking you for that day, and two, seeking to glorify you in that day in all that we do, Lord. We place our faith in you. We hope in you. Our tomorrow is in you and you alone. And we know without a shadow of a doubt that you love us more than we love us. And that you want for us better than we could ever imagine for ourselves. Lord, and that sometimes in this world as we face trials and tribulations and as we are pressed in from every side, it can be easy for our flesh, Lord, to get weary But I pray as our flesh gets weary and we rest in you, that our spirit is strengthened in that. And that as a church, as a body of believers, that we would cling to the hope that's found only in Christ. Lord, and I lift Sister Donna and Brother Kip up to you tonight, especially. I know that they are going through a difficult time. And when we look at these situations, we can't wrap our minds around it, Lord. When we see these things, we can't understand the why, but we know, God, that you take no risks, Lord, because you know what tomorrow holds, and you know what every tomorrow holds, and you are the God of each and every one of our days, and we hope in you and you alone. I pray that as we open up your word tonight, and we start start to see and start to dig into this gospel that Paul is presenting to us here in Romans, that your Holy Spirit would move in our lives, that you would sanctify us, that you would grow us closer and closer to you, that our faith would be just exponentially grown. Lord, as we dig into this, let your Holy Spirit move. I thank you, Lord, for Christ. I thank you for the gospel It is His life, death, and resurrection. I thank You for the hope that we have in it. When all other hope fails us, You can never fail because You are the great I Am. It's in Christ's name and for His glory. Amen. Alright, so uh, open up with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Um, Ray's back in the back doing nursery, and Ray said, Landon, keep it short tonight. So if Ray watches this video later, Ray, this is for you. (laughs) We're going to do five points, and I've written them out because today I've been in like three or four airports, and I've waited in lines, and if I didn't write it down and tell it to you first, I would probably get lost somewhere along the way. Um, 
So we're going to read chapter 16, or chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, and then I'm going to tell you what my plan is, and hopefully in telling you what my plan is, maybe it'll lock it and sink it down in my mind so that I, I don't forget it. Um, and if I do forget it, you'll be able to remind me, right? So stay awake, don't fall asleep, okay? So let's read Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So today, like I said, we're just going to spend tonight looking at five particular things in the first half of verse 16 of chapter 1 of Romans. So, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. This is where we're going to kind of camp out tonight, right? So, one thing that I want, and I'm curious, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about this. How many of you, when you read this, when you read something like Paul saying, for I am not, and I want you to be honest with me, we're going to do raising of hands. How many of you, when you read this, wonder a little bit what he means or what there is to be ashamed of. How many of us, when we read this, well, what is there to be ashamed of? It's the gospel, man. This is an awesome thing. Like, clearly you wouldn't be ashamed of this, right? How many of us? Some of us? A handful of us? A couple of us? Okay, good. Now, this is probably due to the fact that many times when we think about the gospel, we probably have a very skewed understanding of what the gospel is, right? So I want us to understand that the gospel is in fact something scandalous, something shameful in the eyes of everyone except for us who believe, right? I want you to get that because we live, we live in a church culture, we live in a very privileged place in both time and our spot in the earth. We're westernized. We have everything we need. We're so comfortable. And we look at the gospel as another way to add to that. Okay? We do. We look at the gospel as something that will... And I'm going to use a book quote here, and I've used it in the past, and it's the... I'm sorry if you've read this book, but it's absolutely hogwash. We want our best life now, right? And this is the culture that we as a church, we as believers, are in. And anything, anything that would attack that, that would question that, must be heresy. When what we don't really understand is that for the large majority of the world that believes in Christ, they're not having their best life now. There's 21, I believe it's 21, of our brothers and sisters in Christ who had their heads separated from their bodies this month or last month. How many of you think on that day that they were having their best life now? Huh? Huh? Probably not. 
But we want our best life now, right? And we see the gospel as something that will give us that. Not something that would bring shame or persecution or suffering. Right? Not something that would bring hardship. So I want us to look at five things about the cross tonight. And I'm going to read them to you. And we're going to look at different places in Scripture that kind of point these things out. And we're going to just think about these. So that we understand one very, very important thing that I want us to understand is that Paul says here, not that I'm ashamed of the gospel, but that I am not ashamed of the gospel, right? So the question that we will come to after we look at what shameful things are said about this gospel, what aspects of it would bring shame or could bring shame, what is it about this gospel that would cause Paul to say about it, I am not ashamed of it, right? So we're going to see that there's something that so supersedes, so overflows from this gospel that it does away with, for the believer, all of the shameful things, right? So we're going to look at, these are the five things that we are going to look at tonight. Five ways that the gospel was something that the world, or is something that the world sees as a shameful thing. The first thing we're going to, and this is coming from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. We'll go there here in a second. The first two points of this we'll see in that. The first point is that the gospel is a stumbling block for the Jews. The second thing we're going to see is the gospel is outright foolishness to the Gentiles. So a stumbling block to one set of people foolishness to another set of people. We're going to see that there's going to be a persecuted people that would find that you could find shame in this. And then we're going to find persecuting pasts, right? Paul would be one great example of someone who could live a life coming to grips with what he had done to the church and be very ashamed of that life. But in fact, Paul comes to a an understanding of God so great and so grand that it overshadows even His own sinful past. So we're going to see that this gospel overshadows the shame of our past, right? And then we're going to look at the shame of a rejected king. And we're going to see that Paul here spends a good deal of time in the book of Romans addressing this idea of a rejected king, right? So, with that being said, I want us to open or flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 23 here. And hopefully, if, like I say, if my brain doesn't go haywire sometime between now and the next couple of minutes, we're going to come back and kind of, maybe my hope is to finish up with the verses that follow chapter uh, 1 verse 23 of 1 Corinthians. But don't read yet. And I know when I say don't read yet, half of you have already read, half of you already read it. But that's okay. We're going to come back to it. And if I were to forget, then you've already read it. So you're good. Alright, so verse 23 of Corinthians chapter 1. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and a folly to the Gentiles. So, these are the two broad groups of people that we find addressed in Scripture. We find the Jews and everybody else, 
right? So for the Jews, we find that Christ and the crucified Savior, the crucified King, is a stumbling block. Why is this? Who are they waiting to be born, right? So you're, you're right here. They're waiting for a Messiah to be born. Who, who, what is the, what is, and, and I, I think we need to understand this, why that the, that the Christ that we find in Scripture is such a hard thing for the Jews to grapple with and wrestle with, right? Why is it a stumbling block? They were, they, they were looking for something, and I, and I say this, and I think, man, y'all are crazy, because even me saying this, it almost, it's like, this is heresy. They were looking for something better than Christ, right? And that's absolutely heresy, right? Because Christ is the greatest and the best, right? But they, in their minds, were looking, because their hearts were focused and centered somewhere else, somewhere other than the will and purposes of God, that they were looking for a, a Messiah that fit their standards, right? What were they looking for in this Messiah? So a grand entrance? They were looking for a warrior? And, and, and now were they looking for this? Is there no place in Scripture that, that, that shows Christ as being a, a, a coming with the grand entrance or coming as a, as a great warrior, coming as a great and powerful king or a lion? So they were looking for things that we in fact find in Scripture. But they were overlooking some major things, right? That confused them completely. And what did this? What caused this? Arrogance, Satan, their own sinfulness, maybe the providence of God. We're going to explore that as well when we get over into 9, 10, and 11. Maybe all of these things combined in some crazy way. They were looking for a king now. They were looking for their best life now. Right? And they missed it. They missed it because they were looking for something else, something that satisfied their desires. Right? They were looking for a king who would come in as David came in and overthrow the oppressors. Right? Who was the oppressors? That was Rome. Right? They were looking for somebody to come in and be a great king. And this is, I want us to understand that this is everybody at this point in time. This is the Israelite nation at this time. Right? They were looking for an earthly king to rule an earthly kingdom. Right? And Jesus just didn't fit that. And he started saying some crazy things that got him nailed to a cross. Right? So their vision is skewed. Their understanding of what God was going to do was skewed. They wanted someone to overthrow an oppressor that was a lesser oppressor. I want, I want to tell you that Rome failed. But sin runs rampant even today. So they were looking for someone to overthrow. And what we say now is that he did overthrow. He overthrew something greater than Rome. 
Right? So for the Jew, the picture here, Christ didn't fit their mold. Right? There's some other very interesting aspects of Scripture that I want us to look at that if you were a Jew then would have been your kind of go-to text. Right? If you were one of the Pharisees and you see Jesus, you're flipping to this, you're flipping to this text whenever, whenever Peter's out preaching. And you're like, it can't be. You're like, it can't be. For a hanged man is cursed by God. That's what you would flip to. If you were a Jew and they're preaching this gospel, this is what you're flipping to here. You're flipping to Deuteronomy chapter 21. Let's start in verse 22. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain on that. On the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. So, what they would say is this Messiah that you're worshiping, the very scripture that you're trying to go back and build your case from, is saying that he was cursed by God. We're gonna, we're gonna find that the early church would agree. Yes, in fact, he was cursed by God. And they're going to say he's cursed by God for me. For us. But the Jew, this would have been a stumbling block. This passage of text would have said for them, what you're believing is a very shameful and heretical thing. Which is likely the reason that a large majority of the Jews were left out which is going to be something that we're going to address again uh, at the end of tonight. So I want us to understand one of the shameful things is that for many of those who were preaching the gospel then, they had Jewish probably friends, acquaintances, leaders in their community, that when they preached a crucified Christ, a crucified Messiah, everyone in their town would have laughed them away. Because what you're preaching, doesn't. this is what they would have thought. It doesn't match with Scripture. It just doesn't. He was cursed. We're going to find something great comes out of this. Because very early in church history, we find that the church has the answers to these very questions. Right? All that we believe and hope and hold to answers these kind of questions. Right? So for the Jew, a stumbling block. And for the Gentile, foolishness. Now, I wonder why it would sound foolish to the Gentile. Good. Could you give me a couple of reasons? I, I, I want you to think tonight, why for someone who was not a Jew, would the preaching of a crucified Jew be foolish? What is it about Christ that to everyone not Jewish, it just sounds like madness? Right? I want to, I want to read you a text. This is a Martin Heingel. Um, is the name of the guy, the book, and I would recommend this. Is an excellent book. It's called Crucifixion. This is what he this is what he says, right? And he 
has researched the history of the cross and the shame of the cross and, and death. And this is what this is the conclusion that he would have come to. For those who are not Jews, listening to the message of the cross, this is this is what we find here. To believe, and and, and I want us to think about all the aspects of what he kind of pulls out here. To believe that one pre existent Son of the one true God, the mediator at creation and the redeemer of the world, had appeared in very recent times in out-of-the-way Galilee as a member of an obscure people of the Jews, and even worse, had died the death of a common criminal on the cross, could only be regarded as madness. Right? This is a guy who's researched the history of the cultures, and this is the conclusion that he comes to. That the preaching of the the preaching of the cross was foolish, would have been considered madness. I want us to think about this. I, 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 sometimes I wonder if we understand what it is that we've placed our hope in, right? How many of you are Jews? I'm curious, maybe somebody? Alright, so for every single one of us, we would fall into this category of hearing this and thinking that this is utter foolishness. This is madness. Who would believe this kind of junk is what the world thinks when they hear this? Right? This is what, this is what the gospel is saying. I'm going to kind of break down what he's brought in there. That you believe in a God who's never been created, who's always been, who had a son, who was also God. If that ain't confusing enough, it was through this guy that everything that exists, exists at all. And then some way, somehow, through some miraculous occurrence of events, he becomes a baby in a time in history where nobody's taking out their cell phones and doing interviews on the spot. Right? Nobody's doing videos of miracles. I want, to, I want to see leopards healed. Get it, get it on YouTube for me, please. I want to see him doing... I want, I want to go to the grave. Why can we not go to the grave with our cameras and see these clothes that have been laid away in the middle of the desert among a people that likely I've never heard of unless I've been in church? It's so small and so insignificant that if it wasn't for my country, they likely wouldn't exist at all. And God chose way back then in all those obscure ways and all those obscure times and people to send a Savior for me today? That's what you're telling me. That's what you're telling me. When I can turn the TV on and I can see all those popular people doing all those fun things that I myself am drawn to and you want me to give all of that up to follow this Jesus guy. Do we stop and think about this? Do we stop and think about what it is that we believe in? And why it is that we believe in it? Do we understand 
that for many people, when we approach them with the gospel, that to their ears it sounds crazy? Now I want you to think about mixing on top of that. Well, you can have your best life now. You believe in this guy. All your problems go away. This is why we look for health, wealth, and prosperity. Because somewhere, somehow, it sounds crazy to us. So we feel like maybe I'll just water it down a little bit. I'll make it a little more palatable. Because to be honest with you, it sounds outright crazy, and I don't know who would believe in this. To the Gentiles... Madness and foolishness. Go to the universities and preach this gospel. Do it. And what I'll show you really quickly is that most people care about a piece of paper that somebody spent eight to ten years getting then they do this book that's lasted the test of time, okay? And this is why we don't. Because somewhere, somehow, in the back of our minds, we know how crazy it sounds. And we're ashamed of it. This is the truth. So we water it down and make it something it's not. Because stuff attracts people. Right? Man, if, if you knew that you could like do this one thing that wasn't very difficult to do at all, and after that it was like rubbing the genie's lamp, and everything that you wanted in life, all the problems with your kids or your spouse or your job would just go away. Somebody were to lead you to believe something like that, man, I'll take a little bit of that gospel. We'll try it. It can hurt. Right? This is not the gospel they were preaching. They were preaching a gospel that when they preached it, people thought it was foolishness. But something happened. Right? And when 21 men die for the name of Yeshua, the name of Christ, something happens. It stirs you. Believer, it should stir you. Because the Holy Spirit hopefully is working in you. Wanting to confirm to you that there is something worth dying for. Yet the majority of us are not worth even considering living for that thing. Right? Because it's something we're ashamed of. So that's the second thing that we find here. Excuse me, I gotta fix this. Sorry about that. Got a cord coming around. The next thing that we're gonna look at is a persecuted people. So we've got stumbling block to the Jews, we've got foolishness to everybody else. And now, on top of all of this, if I believe this, because the gospel was being preached was not preached like many of you have heard it or read it from books you've gotten from 
Christian bookstore. It wasn't a gospel they were preaching that was give, give you your best life now. And if they were preaching that, nobody was listening to it because they were seeing people die because of it. Right? They were seeing their brother Stephen get stoned to death. Yeah, he had his best life now. Right? They weren't preaching that kind of gospel. I want us to understand that. They were not preaching that kind of gospel. But they were preaching something that would cause men to die for it. Instead of hide away, scared that. They might stub their toe on the way to the airplane. Right? We got all kind of fears. It's an icy road, which, hey, I'm not saying driving an icy road. But I'm saying that's the kind of fears that we've got to concern ourselves over. Is it going to be icy, and should I make that trek to church? Because Landon preaches a long time. And I noticed that at 8 o'clock tonight, it's not tonight, I've already checked, it's going to be in the 50s. But I noticed tonight that it's going to get down below freezing and it's wet outside. And that's dangerous. (laughs) Right? These are the fears that we concern ourselves with. When a large majority of the world concerns themselves with a whole other category of fears. That every once in a while, our comfortable lives are interrupted for a 30-second clip where we realize that some people have to pay for it. And we turn it off, and we go back to what we were doing. We turn the TV on. No, never mind asking ourselves, what were they reading? What, what chapter were they reading that would cause them to give their lives for this? When most of us, do you know, how many of you, be honest, how many of you don't know without a shadow of a doubt, like there's some doubt in your mind, that if a gunman came in here and lined us up and said, believe or reject or die, how many of us, and I want you to be honest, please be honest, how many of us know without question, that you would stand right here and say, do me first so that everybody else can be encouraged by that. How many of us? Let's be real, right? Because I want you to believe in a gospel that you would lay your lives down for. Because that's a gospel that you're going to go out and live for and not be ashamed of. Because when the rubber hits the road, we value our lives highly. And you should not have to question where your allegiance lies. You can know where your allegiance lies. You can know it. It can be no question to you. I want to tell you one thing without a shadow of a doubt. That that those of you who raise your hands and said, I know it, your lives better be showing it. Right? Because if you go out and you go to your workplace and you're ashamed of this gospel, and you're like, yeah, I'll die for that. You're a liar. You're a liar. If you can't live for it, there's absolutely no way that you are going to die for it. I want us to look again, and I want us to look at Scripture So that we can see here what some of the early believers, and we've touched on this passage of text a lot. I know that. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to look 
here at Paul and some of the trials and sufferings that he's gone through in preaching this gospel. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we're just going to start there at the second half of uh, verse 21. Whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. I want you, man, if you would just, church, if you would just go spend some time in meditating on these kind of texts. These kind of texts. Maybe, maybe you don't know yet what you would do if you were in a life or death situation for Christ. I want you to know that you can know, right? You can know. You don't have to have the gun put to your head yet to know it, right? But I want you to read texts like this. And I want you to ask yourself, what in the world would call someone to do that? And I'm going to tell you, nothing in the world would cause a man to go through these kind of things. So God has sent something to us, the Holy Spirit, that causes us to live in ways that we could not otherwise live. I want you to know that. That that is something the Holy Spirit does for us. Right? And we're going to see this. That the Holy Spirit empowers us to live lives that are evidence for Christ. Right? That are evidence for Christ. I want to tell you that the most powerful evidence for Christ is when someone lays their life down for Him. When some, I'm not talking about like going and blowing yourself up in a building. I'm talking about laying your life down every single day, taking risk after risk, knowing that you know the God who does not take risks for His name's sake. Paul is one such individual that we can be inspired by the life that the Holy Spirit gave him to live. Five times, verse 24, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, Dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless, many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, and often without food, without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from other things, there's my daily pressure. There's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak that I'm not weak? Who is made to fail or made to fall that I'm not indignant? Does that kind of life not inspire us to something? I want to tell you, if you're a believer, if you if you 
if the Holy Spirit is in you, these kind of texts move you. When you see others living lives for the name of Christ, it moves you. I want you to understand this, that it takes one individual living fully for Christ and their life being preached in that, the name of Christ being lifted up in everything that they do to set others on fire if the Holy Spirit is in them. Who will be that? Who will be that? So another thing that was shameful about this gospel is that you didn't get your best life now. You likely got beatings and stonings. You likely got rejected by your community, rejected by your friends, laughed at, mocked, persecuted. And I'm not talking persecuted like made fun of. I'm talking about persecuted like killed. Right? So this is something. Because I want you to... Think with me for a second, the way that it looks. Think with me, right? We're a church, we're a people who serve the God of all gods. The Lord of all lords, the King of all kings. If He could, why would He allow anyone to die that was His? Why would he allow, why, why not when they put the knife to your neck, the knife doesn't cut you? Because that seems like to us that it would be a more powerful evidence for Christ. Right? They can't kill us. Right? That seems like it would be something, man, people would be jumping on board left and right, I'm telling you. If I believed in a God that would protect me from every single thing, do you not do we not understand what it is that we say? That's the thing that I don't wrap my mind around sometimes. Sometimes we just go around like like we don't understand what it is that we're saying. Right? We don't understand how we say I'm more than conquerors as the church numbers dwindle in America, right? Oh, more than conquerors. Let's sell some more books about how we can live our best life now and the church may just fizzle out. Because I want to tell you, and this is, this is Scripture. This, we've, we've touched on this again, okay? This is, again, Paul. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If in Christ we have hope in this life only... We of all people are most to be pitied. Do you follow me? Do you see how Scripture tells us these things? Right? That if all that we have to hope for is what this life has for us, that's just sad. That's just pitiful, church. That's pitiful. And yet, what do we find? We want to live like this is our... Best hope. Right? We keep grasping at it and hoping that it turns around. And Scripture tells us that if only, if we only have Christ to make this life better, how silly do we look, church? 
How silly do we look? Our pastor's wife has cancer. How silly do we look? When we come up here and pray and it seems like nothing is ever answered. How silly do we look? I mean, really, what what are y'all even doing listening to me? This is crazy, foolish, shameful stuff. Yet for some reason, you're here. For some reason, something has brought you here and keeps you here. Something otherworldly has captured you. Something otherworldly has made the things that are so foolish and shameful something that instead you boast in. We boast in the cross. Call me a fool! Call me a fool! I'm a fool for Christ, man. I'm so foolish, I believe. Such a foolish gospel. And I'm not ashamed of this foolish gospel. Because it's the power of God. I want you to get this. I want you to get this. That there must be something. There must be something. That takes the thing that seems most shameful and foolish and makes it something we boast in. And I want you to tell you, I want you to know that when we figure that out, we'll understand that it is the power of God. It is the power of God. And God alone. And His ways are higher than our ways. And His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And I know it sounds foolish. And I'm good with that. I'm good with that. And I'd I'd die for that. I'd die for that. And I know how foolish it sounds. <laughs> Brother Kim, I've read this thing enough to know how silly this can sound. <laughs> I've talked to enough people that don't believe in Christ to know, how, to know how silly it sounds when I tell them about Him. So why does anybody believe it? Why does anybody believe it at all? We're going to figure this out, man. It's so good. It's so good. Now the last thing that I want us to think about, and this is going to, we're going to be a couple of chapters in. I mean, we're going to be halfway through the book before we really get there. But Because Paul addresses this. I want you all to get this. Paul addresses this in such a powerful way. I want, you, I, want you to, I want you to understand this, that, that Paul came from the people that this next and final point is about. And one of the reasons that the gospel sounds so foolish on our ears is it seems that the very people that the gospel was intended for are the very people that put Him on the cross. Right? He's the crucified King of the Jews. Right? Y'all, y'all get that? Right? That He came... He was a Jew. His own people rejected him. His own people cried out to crucify. And you want me to you want me to believe in a gospel about a king of a people who I'm not in any way a blood relative of. 
right? How crazy is that? That you want me to believe a gospel that his own people rejected. You want me to follow after a Messiah that his own people have left. And, and, and we, need to, we need to get this. We need to get this. That a large portion of the Jews fell away. Right? Why is this important? Why is this important? Because when we look in Scripture, we find God making some big promises. God is a promise maker. Right? And we claim Him to be the one who keeps His promises. And He made some big promises to the Jews. Go read the Old Testament. Go look at the promises that He made the Jews all along the way. And it would seem, man, if you were, if you were a preacher early church time, it would, you, I would imagine that Paul himself probably wrestled with this. This 14 or so span of time before he started his missionary journeys, I imagine Paul wrestled with this. Why is it that my family and friends, why is it that my kinsmen who the, the Messiah came through and for, why is it that they have just outright rejected Him? Right? Has God failed in His promises to Israel? Has He? Because we preach a gospel that from the outside it looks like it. Right? So what you're telling me is that you want me to follow the Son who is everlasting, co-equal, with the Father, this crazy thing to grasp at anyways, who became a child in an obscure people, in an obscure time, who they rejected. And you want to tell me He's a God who keeps His promises? How do you know? Friends, how do you know that He wins? How do we know that? Because I'm, I'm sitting here trying to preach to you and if you go back and look at much of the Old Testament, what you'll find is that God made some big promises and it seems like He went to plan B. Right? It seems like, well, the earthly thing didn't work out and people reject me, so we'll find another people. And I imagine that for Paul, he wrestled with this. And I say I imagine he wrestled with this because 9, 10, and 11 of the book of Romans, chapters 9, 10, and 11, are some of the deepest truths that you will ever search through Scripture to find. Right? Some of the deepest places. And I imagine the only way that Paul came to such a deep understanding of what had taken place and why God does in fact keep His promises. Because that's what 9, 10, and 11 is about. When we get there, that's what, what we're going to find, is that what Paul is doing is justifying everything that's happened before for God's name's sake, so that we understand that the God who made the promises that we would have life and that we would have a resurrected body like Christ would in fact keep His promises. right? So that we know that the passage of text about this life being the best life now and that being just a pitiful thing, that we can hope for a life tomorrow. That we can hope that when we're in the dirt, that He will in fact keep His promises. Right? Because Paul is going to show us that this rejected king, all of this rejection had taken place at the very will of God Himself. Because God was working for more than just a single small group of people. God's telling a story, and He doesn't want just the Jews to know about this story. 
God's telling a story that He's now at the point of the cross opening up to all people everywhere. And He does keep His promises. And He will keep His promises. And we're going to find that even in Scripture, we're going to find that there are some promises made that you can hold to about the nation of the Jews. We'll, we'll cover that when we get there. So we're going, to, we're going to close with that tonight. What I wanted us to get from tonight are all the ways, all the ways in which the preaching of this gospel could come across as shameful. Because I want us to understand that, right? I want us to understand that. I want us to feel the weight of how shameful this sounds to people who don't believe it, right? Who haven't given their lives to Christ yet. I want us to know that so we can put that on one side and then we can understand that there is something that happens and something that is happening that so outweighs and so overwhelms that shame that it would make things shameful, things we in fact boast in, right? Like the cross. We find our boasting in the cross. Of all places, of all places, one of the most shameful ways for a slave to die. Because that's what the cross was. It was a place to murder or to crucify slaves. And that's what Christ got. And Scripture's true. Cursed is the man who hangs on a tree. We're going to find this gospel ties these things in so beautifully, so powerfully, that it will overwhelm every amount of shame every amount of fear that we would have in it, that it would cause us to live lives worthy of that. Right? And that's what I hope that we get at when we get here. So with that in mind, let's read 16 and 17 again. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray and then we'll worship. Lord, I thank You that You've allowed us to gather in this place. That we could open Your Word. I pray that I, as we study this book that I do justice to the Gospel that You've presented within its pages. Lord, that I teach nothing false, that I give no false hope, but that as we dig into this, that the true hope that we have in Christ is made evident and made manifest. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in us in such a way as that it would overflow into every aspect of our lives. Lord, that we would embrace the shame of the cross because Christ of His own freedom and His own will, chose the cross. Lord, and what seems foolish to the world is wisdom to You. And I thank You that You are so much wiser than us. I thank You and I boast in the cross of Christ. Because without it, I have nothing but shame to cling to. It's in Christ's name. Amen.